Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, my lovely Betwixters. It's me, Kate Lister. I am here again to issue your fair dues warning. Fair dues. This is a podcast that deals with adult themes in an adult way, with content of an adult nature. Two adults will be speaking. I'll be swearing. We will be talking about sex and just general naughtiness, mayhem and chaos will ensue. And you just might not want to listen to that. In which case, leave now. B.B. King, Howling Wolf, Muddy Waters, Etta James, Aretha Franklin. Who else comes to mind when you think of the blues? It's a genre rightly celebrated around the world. But what are its roots and why is it called the blues? Well, today, betwixt the sheets, we are going to damn well find out. What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. <laughs> You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing the button. Yes, social courtesy does make a difference. Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, dearie. Hello and welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society with me, Kate Lister. Blues music has had a profound influence on almost every single music style that we hear today, especially hip-hop, grime and R&B. But to find out where it comes from and how it grew, I spoke to Lamont Purley, blues expert. From sharecroppers to the first professional bands to popularity and appropriation, Today, we are going to hear the story of this phenomenal music. So, hello and welcome to Betwixt the Sheets, Lamont Pearly. How are you? I'm well, and I'm saying hello from Kentucky in the USA. We are here today to talk about the blues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really? I'm so excited <laughs> to hear, listen to you talk about this because my mum and dad are huge blues fans and they raised us on a diet of Muddy Waters and B.B. King and Aretha Franklin and it just always seemed so magical to me and I suppose what I've kind of seen is sort of like the blues from the Blues Brothers and kind of a very Hollywood interpretation of it and so I really want to know what is the history of this particular art form? Well it's a great question and just to give it context this Hollywood thing it's okay because a lot of people have been introduced to the real thing through Hollywood, through 
the British invasion even. So the history of the blues has many turning points. What I would like to establish first and foremost for your audience, my audience, and everyone in between, because a lot of people don't know this, blues is a freed Black American music from inception. Enslaved culture, plantation, sharecropping, yes, that was involved, but there's something called slave seculars, which predates the blues or a particular version of the blues. Then we have black spirituals, which have two moving parts, which is the educated progressive black American and the enslaved black American. But the blues in all of its movements starts with free blacks. Oh, I didn't know that. I'd always been told that it came from enslaved people. What are the sources for that? Do we have any kind of records of what kind of music was being sung? Absolutely. The sources from that would be Amiri Baraka's Blues People. My only thing with that is he gives the inception to Africa when a lot of it was created here on the Americas. Then you have, oh my goodness, you have a slew of sources that tell you. Chris Thomas King recently put out a book. He's from New Orleans, Louisiana, and he breaks down the inception of the blues in New Orleans, Louisiana. I can tell you of my studies and readings, places like Storyville in New Orleans is a big space of originality for the blues. Congo Square, which is also Louisiana. The blues has always been here. It moved with the people. I think what happens is to tell a story that is so complex and wide as the blues of the blues people, to break it down into five minutes or even a two-hour lecture, you have to combine many pieces which kind of omits some of the other things, right? So people think blues starts in Mississippi, but Mississippi wasn't even an established state when the blues was still being played around the Americas, around Indian territory, even if you will. Yeah. And what kind of date is that? Is that 19th century? I mean, we're talking 14, 15, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. I would say the blues as we know it, as we really discuss it, you may want to talk about um, post-emancipation, but you also have to remember something. You have guys like Mince Lanscombe, you have guys like Elijah Cox. These guys were playing songs that was one, two, three hundred years old, that they were learning from people passing it down to them, that they learned that they learned. So a lot of your references is in the music itself, right? Right, of course. I'm going to jump a little bit ahead of myself now, but this is something that I really want to know. So I'm primarily a historian of sex work, and I've looked at the New Orleans Storyville district. And one story that comes out of there a lot is that that's where sort of blues and jazz were formulated because those musicians were only allowed to play in the brothels. And I've heard a few people going, well, I'm not quite sure if that's completely right yet. But do you know about that? Is that right? Or is that like a myth? I know. I'm really happy you brought that up because Storyville is really important to the story. New Orleans is extremely important to the story because everyone had to go there before going other places. Whether they were here on this land, whether they were taken from here somewhere else and brought back or what have you. Now to get back to your question. So you have like Bolton, you have Jelly Roll Morton, right? 
You have lead belly. You have so many people go through this area, and that's where they actually learn the blues. It was the blues. It wasn't jazz. Jazz comes out of that. But it was the blues they were playing there. It was the blues they were learning. Lead Belly was an old-time musician. He plays string music, hold-downs, if you will. He learns the blues in Storyville. Jelly Roll Martin reaches out to some publication talking about W.C. Handy is not the founder of the blues I am. He's saying that because he was in Storyville. W.C. Handy wasn't. So this is a place where it formulated as we know it into a viable, if you will, commercial entity. Because now when we speak about sexually explicit music, you know, that predates the Cardi B's, that predates the Little Kim's, or even the Millie Jackson's of the world that people don't give enough credit to. We have to talk about the Lucille Bogans. We have to talk about the vaudeville and the minstrel. Minstrelsy has a bad reputation. We all understand why. However, these were big to-dos. Vaudeville and minstrelsy and these black troops, they were singing sexually explicit songs in person. You know what I mean? And Storyville, being a red light district where black folk can perform because they weren't able to maneuver in certain places at a particular time, all of this happens here. And, you know, as somebody that, like, tries to research the history of sexuality, one of the things that you lose a lot is voices of the people themselves because you're talking about a marginalised group of people. People often use aliases. But there are some early blues songs where women are named in Storyville, like Mamie Williams or something in one of the songs. And it's just this tiny little flash that there was a woman working in one of the brothels who would also sing and she'd sing with the blues singers. And it's like just this tiny little piece of a record, but it sort of puts things into focus of what was going on at the time. Right. Well, you know, and this could be considered a more broader statement in a context of the music business as a whole. I think what a lot of people miss is the music business starts in places that are unsavory. You have two versions or three versions, if you will, of musicians. You have the church musician, which crosses ethnicity. You have the trained musicians that go to these specialized schools, which somewhat crosses ethnicity. At one time, you have the Creole and the white musicians being sent there. And then you have the local musicians. And all three end up playing in these local places where things happen. Right. It's kind of like when you speak to a lawyer and the lawyer is like, well, why did you get a prostitute or why did you get a, a drug user to testify? And they're like, well, who else is on the street at this time? So you would have a prostitute being a singer. You'd have a pimp being a singer. You know, you go down the line of the different people in these places with these gifts. But this is the place. This is where they can share their gift, if you will. And then to your statement about marginalized people. If you look at the church, so one of the biggest running ironies of blues and black spirituals is the blues man would be in a juke joint from Saturday night to Sunday morning and go across the street and sometimes go upstairs to the church and play for the choir from Sunday morning to Sunday evening and then repeat. You just said that and I've just thought, yeah, I've always thought there was a big influence from the church on the development of blues. Absolutely. I mean, what's that relationship? On one hand, you've got this kind of real, and we'll get to the dirty blues, but this kind of like association with the red light districts, the sort of very seedy stuff. But then also there is like gospel element and church elements. 
How did they come together? Well, I mean, it comes together by culture. So just to start as a marginalized group, there's not many places to go to frolic. So your one space becomes the space for everything. But as for music, there's blue notes, right? And blue scales. And black spirituals is called black spirituals because it was played on the black keys. These things are intertwined because it comes from the same place. Both are sacred music. It's just that one speaks of or to God, and the other one speaks about worldly secular issues. Now there's something like I was telling you about slave seculars. Slave seculars were popularized, if you will, by those who did not feed into the Euro missionaries coming in and trying to give them their religion. So what they did was they took those songs that the missionaries brought with them and they parodied those songs. And some of these songs were sexually explicit. Like, I I don't know how familiar you are with N.W.A. Mm -hmm. So do you remember how Ice Cube used to take songs that were known and change them, but he would make them more sexually explicit. Like, forgive me, but he did a song with N.W.A. before they were signed, and he took my Adidas, and he changed the song to my penis. (laughs) That's not a new concept. This was happening in Black music since before the turn of the century. What does secular slaves mean? Who's that group of people? So it was enslaved people who did not buy in or feed into a religious sect. They were not Christian. They were not Muslim. They were secular people, right? And their music was secular. Some believe the blues is more the child of slave seculars and black spirituals, but more direct to the slave secular because it's more of a worldly music. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And you've got this huge melting pot of different experiences and outlooks all kind of coming together. I've got to ask you about the Dirty Blues because I'm fascinated by this. Sure. I mean, sort of, you, you mentioned Lucille Bogan there, and sometimes I tell my students about the Dirty Blues, and I sort of, and if we talk about Cardi B and WAP and all those things, and I say, look, go and look at Lucille Bogan's Shave and Dry. Exactly. And <laughs> just go and have a look at it. And they come back and they're just like, oh my God. God, like I tried to put a TikTok thing up about Lucille Bogan shave and dry and they took it down in two minutes. Nope, can't have that. Right. And we're talking about the 1920s. Now, this is one of the amazing things because I guess you could say the government and the way it controlled media, it would have us believing at one time these things did not exist. Right. We have to really credit the classic women of the blues We have to credit them for the music business, number one, right? We have to credit them for the explosion of blues and record sales, right? Because the first platinum record comes from a black woman, Mamie Smith, Crazy Blues. What we have to also add into that, quantify and qualify if you want to speak scholarly, (laughs) is these songs that they were recording in the 20s comes from the vaudeville era, And in the vaudeville era, what people don't understand is when they think about the blues, they think the blues to be downtrodden because that's how it was perpetuated by white male academics. But the term blue comes from the term risque. I didn't know that. I thought it was like blue, like sad. Well, it covers the gambit. So when I say it's not downtrodden, that's just a part of it. 
But a big part of it is the relationship between man and woman, right? Yeah. So then when you think about it being risque as in blue and then connecting it back to Storyville, which is not the first place it was at, but let's just use that as a good example. Blue, risque, sexual parlors. This is what they're singing about. And then they take these songs from these small local locations and then they bring it on a big stage like in Vaudeville. It just becomes a traveling show. Fast forward to the 20s, these things were being recorded. So Tampa Red, Blind Blake, men were recording this as well. Ma Rainey, right? Bessie Smith. And if we're talking about Lucille Bogan, I suppose if this stuff isn't recorded and written down, we kind of, we lose it. So we don't know who else was singing it. But just the first lyrics of Shave and Dry, I got nipples on my titties, big as the end of my thumb. I got something between my legs, I'll make a dead man come. And it goes on. How was she allowed to record that? Like, how has that survived? Because I thought, like, that would have been repressed quite severely. Well, what I'm thinking, it could be where it was recorded. It could be, right? Because if I'm not mistaken, Lucille was the first person to record outside of the two major recording spaces. And then again, we have to keep in mind about the commercialization. So the Netflix movie, Black Bottoms. I talk to people about that, and my take on that is kind of how I feel about the scholarship of Blue. You have those that are so nostalgic about this culture, they're not truly understanding. So just one quick example, so I don't forget my thought, the way they're nostalgic about juke joints, where this is a place where people got killed, this is a place where families were broken up. But, you know, somebody says to me, don't you wish you were sitting on a plantation porch picking your guitar with Charlie Patton? I said, no. No, the hell I don't. What black man in his right mind would want to do that knowing now what we didn't know then? So to get back to my point, this nostalgia, this puritism of blues, of not understanding the evolution of the sound. And this is very important. So when we look at Black Bottoms, that movie, we're looking at Ma Rainey and the young man that's part of her band. And their conflict is he's trying to take the music forward and they're still playing what they've been playing for the last 30, 40 years. Because by the time the masses heard her on record, she's been doing that for God knows how many years. So the commercialization of this music as it changes constitutes how they're able and when they're able to put this on record. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. I'll be back with Lamont and the Blues after this short break. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm thrilled to say that today's episode of Betwixt the Sheets is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses with us, and I'm no exception. It can be a whole range of things that weigh on us big and small, such as, can I justify these elaborate impulse purchases? How do I tell my friend that, no, they really shouldn't have cut that fringe? And of course, the evergreen classic, why are we all here? Bottling these things up can really take its toll, which is why therapy is fantastic for getting them off your chest and working through them with an expert. Even if it's just to tell your mate that their hair doesn't look its best. If you're thinking of starting therapy, BetterHelp is built to be convenient to you, being entirely online and flexible to suit your schedule. Simply fill out a questionnaire to be matched with a therapist and you can change at any time with no additional cost. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash betwixt to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash betwixt. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and on my podcast, Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, we talk about everything from what Queen Consort Camilla could learn from the Renaissance. Really, when we begin to look at Queen Consorts, we notice that there's a lot of ways that women could have authority through their relationship with the king. To how you should never upstage Henry VIII. You'd have been a very unwise individual turning up to court, probably with a larger codpiece than the king, I suspect. From the real Matawaka, better known as Pocahontas. She's brought and presented to the king and queen as this shining example of what we could achieve. To how to tell someone to get lost. You could say, turd in your teeth. In other words, not just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Twice a week, every week. Subscribe now to Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. I think one of the things that I'm fascinated as well, maybe you could speak to a little bit, is there's a sort of a lesbianism that was flowing through the music of Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey. And they're not even that subtle about it a lot of the times when they have female lovers and they're talking about getting with women and, and all of these things. And when you read that and you were like, but this was produced in like the 1920s. I've always just been quite surprised by how free and open they are with their sexuality in these songs. We could even talk about Josephine Baker in that sense. Please, yes. Right, and just thinking of a couple of songs by Charlie Patton, Robert Johnson and Sunhouse, where they talk about going to Paris or Europe because there, as a black man, they're respected. So you know the black woman is respected there as well, Right. Lyrics at that time, though some were in your face like now, it was, if you know, you know what they're saying. If you don't know, it's going over your head and you're thinking of something else. Bo Jackson, if I'm not mistaken, he has a song about squeezing the juice out of a lemon or something, but he's talking about a sexual encounter with a woman. That world Bessie Smith and them were in the people of that world knew what they were talking about. People who partied with them 
knew what they were talking about. Yeah, I suppose if you didn't know, you didn't know. It's very easy to go over your head. Right. And we're also talking about the women at this time, right? Because one of the women that does not get the property she deserves is Memphis Minnie, right? Yes. Because she wasn't a classic blues singer. She slang a guitar. All of these women who spoke about their sexual encounters had gold teeth and guns. The reason why that's important is because they understood the terrain they were in just as a black person. They understood the terrain they were in just as a woman. They understood the terrain they were in as a black woman. Then to add on top their sexual preferences and having agency over their body. So these women were ready to defend their agency because men were getting killed at that time if they were considered sexually deviant. I mean, they still are, but these were not soft people. One of the stories that I really like about the history of the blues, and it's going to kind of lead me on to white people appropriating it, was that Bessie Smith died in a car accident and her arm was severed and she couldn't get treated at hospitals because they were white only. And she was effectively buried in an unmarked grave, which is hideous and a tragedy and it makes me so angry. But years later... It was Janis Joplin who was a huge fan of Bessie Smith and greatly influenced by her. She was the one that found her grave and put a headstone on it. And Janis Joplin's probably my absolute idol, but that does bring me on to the fact that these black singers had to have guns and be ready to defend themselves and were being buried in unmarked graves. And then white singers like Janis Joplin, like Elvis, like the Beatles, were influenced if we're being generous or took the music and then had huge successes with it. So what has that done, the kind of the British invasion of the blues or white people appropriating the blues? Now, that's a big question. I don't know if we have enough time. So first, I just want to say every non-black American person that partakes in our Black American traditional musical expression is not appropriating. I don't think Janis Joplin appropriated. I don't think Elvis Presley appropriated. I'm a fan of Janis Joplin. Oh, thank God. I've got a Janis Joplin tattoo. I'd be so upset if you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Elvis Presley grew up with a Black family and he worshipped in a Black church with Black folk. I think for him specifically, and that doesn't mean that he didn't have a way about him business-wise, But I would say he was placed in a very unsavory or unscrupulous situation, right? You have the owner of Sun Records who understood white folk is not going to buy this music from black people. So he went and he actively sought out white acts who can either play it or come close to playing it or he can train them into playing it. But we also have to remember who he hired to help him, Ike Turner. Right. Because Ike Turner was a producer. Ike Turner, actually, who does not get the respect that he deserves as a musician and an artist, was the very first artist to have a number one rock song on the pop charts. Ike Turner. So now I set it up that way because I have to make sure is noted every white person is not malicious. Right. And there are black people that helped these white people willingly. And there are black people who helped them unwillingly, who got no payment, no nothing. Okay, was it them personally or was it their business? Who knows? What I do know is the Rolling Stones made sure that the people that they were influenced by were respected and received. Now, though they did that, that does not mean Howlin' Wolf needed them because Howlin' Wolf predates Ray Charles, if I'm not mistaken, 
in owning his own stuff and running his band like a business. So I think the British invasion was a big slap in the face to black musicians because the white American industry partnered with the white European industry and sold back to America something that was American, but they sold it back to white Americans as if it was something that was created over there. So then the entire white American populace is fainting over these young ghetto Europeans and they're falling out over them, not knowing that they're being just as hoodwinked as we are. The only difference is their money's going to them. The black artists who created this were dying in unmarked graves. So that's what I feel about it. The, we cannot blame all of the artists is one of my main points because those are business decisions. So the Rolling Stones are not super duper innocent, but they are more innocent than the average white band, which was a band <laughs> who I grew up listening to. But the Rolling Stones, let it be known who their influences was and every opportunity they got, they tried to bring their influences out. But at the same token, you know, Mick tried to move like he was black. He tried to move like he was James Brown. You know, they're winning traditional blues albums of the year. They shouldn't be winning that. Yeah, I can see that. This is a ridiculously big question as well. But like, what do you think is the influence of the blues on today's music? When we've got something like Cardi B's WAP and things like that. Like, what do you think about that? Well, let's start with one of my favorite vocalists of the last 10 years who gets a lot of shit because she's white, Adele. Yeah. You know, she gets a lot of shit because she's white because there are black vocalists that could have been in her position in regards to the awards here. But America is a different monster. But the reason why I bring her up is because her biggest song here featured a Texas 12-bar blues riff. You could have had it all. If you go back and listen to You Could Have Had It All, that's a 12-bar blues riff, Texas specifically. Wow. Can you just like listen to any song now and just identify it? That's a riff from Texas. Yes. Wow. Because, so to answer your question, the blues has not just influenced all music, but you hear it in everything. And it's really kind of amazing to me because it's rarely talked about or discussed or given credit. Because when you talk about the blues, I think people are afraid that out of all quote-unquote musical genres, when you speak about blues, you have to speak about racial treatment. Like when you speak about church and black spirituals, you know, okay, so because of civil rights, they can receive that because they pit black spirituals with Martin Luther King and that's in their minds safe, even though they don't understand that he was a revolutionary, right? And they don't understand that it was Bessie Jones who brought the music to the civil rights movement. But either way, because they're synonymous, you could talk about that music without people having a feel away about it. But when it comes to talking about the blues, if you talk about anything other than the 145 or something like this, they don't know how to act because you're going to have to talk about what really happened in America with a group of people. And that's scary. And then we also got to remember as white people was finally able to infiltrate the blues, blacks who assimilated was trying to get away from it. Why was there a movement away from it? Educated blacks were trying to disassociate themselves with what they considered the backward Southern Negro. Oh. And everything that had to do with Jim Crow, lynching, all this stuff. They wanted to forget everything that had to do 
with their experience in the South. And I really think that efforts, what it did was it removed the indigenous people from their land. When these migrations happened, it was a reverse. So immigrant white folk went to the South and got the land of these people, and these folk went to the urban areas and lived in buildings. They reversed places. It was multiple millions of acres of land owned by black folk at one time. And now we've switched places and the wealth has switched. And this is part of the blues. I think blues, at least for me at least, it has a kind of, it feels really deep and it feels sort of old and like you're connected to something and it's got something that's sort of slightly dangerous about it. And I can't quite put my finger on what that is, but would you ever want it to be completely mainstream and would you like it to always kind of have that sort of dangerous quality to it that slightly subversive quality maybe it couldn't be the blues if it didn't right so it's like it has to live in both places it has to live in a place where everyone has access right because that's what allows those in that private space to continue right because if it didn't live in a mainstream place we wouldn't be having this conversation. People really would have forgotten about it. So it has to live in both places. It has to. And I say I feel the same thing about Celtic, the same thing about mariachi, if I said it right. So I'm not just saying this because this comes from my heritage. I feel this way about everyone's. I'm going to have to let you go because I, honestly, I could listen to you talking about this for forever. You've been utterly, utterly fascinating. But my last and final question is, what does shave and dry mean? <laughs> Do you know what it means? Because I don't know what that, what's being shaved dry? What does it mean? You know what? I really should look into that. <laughs> so I'm going to try to make this as brief as possible. We have to keep something in mind. And it's kind of like parables, right? There's a, a black scholar here that wrote about parables. Pranad is his name. And what he was saying was, we do a disservice trying to give a definition to Proverbs because we don't know how it's meant in these spaces. So to bring that to this, we spoke about multiple things in this short conversation about these women of this time. We don't know if it's physical about what's between her legs. We don't know if she's talking about how to con men out of their money, shave them dry, right? Which is an ongoing concept to little Kim, Women who speak to how Little Kim and Cardi B speak, their goal is, well, I'm going to get everything and take everything I can from him, and I'm going to use my body to do that. So it could be that. I like the idea that maybe we're just not supposed to know. I mean, you know, now if we can build a time machine and hang out with them for about a year, I'm sure we know what they're talking about. Wouldn't you just love to? Oh. I don't know if I would, though. No. <laughs> don't be your uh, Labot, you've been amazing to talk to. And if people want to know more about you and your work and about the history of the blues, where can they find you? Jack Dapper Blues. Look up Jack Dapper Blues. Look up the African-American folklorists. And pretty much everything I've done would be there. Thank you so much for talking to me today. You've just been incredible. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you so much to Lamont for joining me. And if you like what you've heard, please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Join me again betwixt the sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast by History Hit.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.